0: Hello and welcome to Living with Hospice. My name is Mitch Ware and I'll be your host today. Come on in, grab a cup of freshly brewed coffee and let's chat. You know, one of the most difficult things in life is knowing what to say or how to talk to someone who you know has been told they have a terminal disease. It's hard. Many people don't even try. They just withdraw. They cut off communication with the person because, well, they just don't know what to say. They don't know how they're going to handle it. They do know they're going to feel uncomfortable. And that's what we're going to chat about today. Before we get too far into this, let me remind you that I'm not a doctor, a therapist, a nurse, or any other professional medical person. What I am, though, is a long-term volunteer with hospice And I was a caregiver for my terminally ill son and a part-time caregiver for other family members, including my mom. In the past 15 years, I've learned a lot, and I want to share with you my unbiased opinions and knowledge that I've gathered through all these experiences. Everyone in hospice care has been told that their life on this earth may very well end in the next six months or so. So they have made the decision to enter comfort care. Now, you come around the corner of the grocery store and you encounter them. You lock eyes. What do you say? Many experts will tell you that you must say something, but whatever you do, don't say, Oh, yeah, I heard. Don't worry, you can beat this. Or, my friend at work beat their condition and is now doing great. Sometimes... Most times, you don't have to say anything at all. When you come around that corner and you lock eyes with that person, in that moment, just be present. Smile. Move into their space a little bit. Maybe give them a hug. When you smile like that, your heart will speak to theirs. Trust me, it will. To be honest, most of us feel the need to say something comforting. Something, I don't know, encouraging or, or supportive. <laughs> something brilliant. I used to always feel like I needed to say something funny. And often, it was less than funny. <laughs> it certainly wasn't brilliant. It was an awkward attempt to really, I guess, probably make myself feel better. And, well, it was pretty much train wreck. Can you relate to that? Put yourself in, in the patient's shoes You appreciate the gesture of this person, but may not appreciate actually what they said. (laughs) Like, you know, you got this, or you're tough, I know you can beat this, or hey, miracles happen every day. Most of us really have the need to just say something that will encourage that person. And often, we want to believe that those things that we're saying are true, because the reality of this journey is just well, it's just hard. I'm here to tell you today, it doesn't have to be. Most people who are in their 11th hour of their life either want to talk about their situation or they do not. So what is your relationship with this person? If you're an acquaintance, your approach is probably with kindness and comfort and they may not want to talk to you about it because it's a personal thing. If the person is a good friend, then You may want to say something like, gee, I'm so sorry to hear this news. How can I help? Do you want to talk about it? And if the person is a a family member or a really, really good friend, then you can be even more intimate in your choice of words and say, you know, I'm really sorry to hear this news, but I would just want you to know I love you. I'm here for you. I will be here with you. You're not alone. And then let them decide if they want to talk about it. They'll probably cry. By the way, it's okay for you to cry too. That's one way how we express that we care for people or that we love people. It's that unspoken communication that really speaks better than words sometimes. When you make that first encounter, depending on, again, how close you are, It's very good to just be present with that person at first. That means eye contact, focusing your attention on them, not looking around, certainly not on your phone. Don't be distracted. That person will pick up on it if you do, and they'll resent it, and you're going to feel awkward about it later when you think back on it. I know for many people, especially the first few times, it's difficult to be around someone who's terminally ill. I guess there are several reasons for that, but I'll bet for most people, the most common reason is it reminds them of their own mortality. Now, people with a strong faith are usually less bothered by this than those who don't have any faith at all. Now, I'm not passing judgment on anyone. That used to be me. I had great plans for my life. I had a lot of dreams that I wanted to fulfill. And the last thing I wanted to even be reminded about was death. And then one day I realized I let my insecurity get in the way of visiting with a few people who were on their end-of-life journey. And these were people that were friends of mine. They meant something to me. That is a regret I can't fix. That's not something I can go back and, and change now. However, as I got older and more mature, I grew in my faith. And I realized I was not only destined to die someday, just like everybody else, but that being around someone who is terminally ill is not about me. It's about honoring them. I'll tell you, those visits are always a blessing. So ask yourself, if you're freaked out about being around someone who's terminally ill, what is really holding you back from being there for them? Take a break from your day-to-day. Do some introspection and figure out why are you afraid? What is it that just gets in the way and, and you just can't do it? Then take action to correct that. You'll be surprised what you can overcome when you take charge of your feelings by taking action. When you control your thoughts, you can change your reality. Let me say that again. When you control your thoughts, you can change your reality. Okay, so what do I say to someone who's terminally ill? It is okay to say, I'm sorry to hear this news. And if you're close to that person, it's certainly okay to say, do you want to talk about it? As good as it feels for you to talk about it, it's even better for them. Trust me, especially in the beginning. Most people, not all, But most people, when they first find out, want to talk about everything that's going on with them. Some people want to share at great length. And, of course, well, some want to share very little because they're just very private. It's their story to tell. Don't poke and prod for information. Let them share it as they are comfortable in doing so. Or if they're not able, maybe they're not responsive. And so the primary caregiver is that conduit for information for you. In my experience, the majority of people want and need to share what is happening to them with their friends and family. The exception to that is either people wanting to spare someone else the sadness of the news or want to deal with it on their own. They're just a very private person and they don't want help or they don't want support from the outside. Fortunately, I haven't run into very many of those, maybe one or two. Oh, Before I forget, why it's still fresh in my mind, when you first encounter this person, that whole big elephant in the room needs to be addressed. That is, it's okay to do a little small talk. How are you? I'm good, yadda yadda. And then, I'm so sorry to hear this news. How can I be of help? That needs to be right up front. Because the more small talk you do, The more awkward it becomes. Also, this is when grieving and healing for you starts. So, let me say this again in different words small talk's great, but you need to tell that person, I'm really sorry to hear this news. And then ask them, Do you want to talk about it? And then follow their lead and just be present. Listen. Give them your focus, your attention, and you don't have to say anything if you don't want to. Let your eyes, let the tears, let a hug say those most important things for you. And that's, I care. I'm here. You're not alone. I have had people ask me, well, I don't know that person's religious perspective. Is it okay for me to say I'm going to pray for you. Well, the answer is, sure, yes. Why not? As a person of faith, if I sense it's okay to bring, that, to bring religion up or, or faith or prayer, I usually ask, how can I pray for you? I have yet to have anyone in 15 years tell me, oh, no, no, don't bother, or no, I don't believe, or eh, thank you, but no, thank you. Also, when you say, how can I pray for you, then that allows them to share with you what they feel they need. And you may be surprised in what they tell you. You may be thinking, well, they're going to say, well, gosh, I pray for miracle healing or, or whatever. More often, they'll say, pray for strength or pray for peace for me. And almost always almost every single time. Their prayer request is, please pray for my family. They're going through a rough time right now. You know, when you ask that question, how can I pray for you? That really makes them feel better as you've provided comfort to them by asking them what their need is, as opposed to assuming that you know what their need is. Sometimes, People in the 11th hour want to clear the books. That is, they want to ask for your forgiveness, or they want to clarify something from 30 years ago that maybe happened on the playground. Or they may confess that they're angry at you for something that you did, that maybe you didn't even know you did, or you did and forgot about. It's good to forgive, and it's good to be forgiven, And that only happens when you use those words, by the way. Forgive me and thank you. I forgive you. Sometimes those words are conveyed in a gesture. Maybe it's a smile. Maybe it's tears. Maybe it's just a touch. But that communication is there and it helps close the books. Someone asked me, okay, so what do I say to someone who's dying well, I didn't like, or I liked them, but they never liked me. Well, this kind of fits in with what we're talking about right now. This allows you to close the books on a positive note and it eliminates regret. It's like Tim McGraw said in that uh, very popular country song a few years back, I gave forgiveness that I've been denying. Giving forgiveness, clearing the books, takes a huge load off of your shoulders and is a healthy way to proceed with your own life. And it allows that person to transition with more peace of mind. I just have to address this next point. Guys... Don't be afraid to tell your buddy that you loved being their friend. Don't be afraid of saying, brother, I love you. We've been socialized, you and I, especially us baby boomers. We've been socialized not to say these things freely. But, you know, that's wrong, in my opinion. There's comfort in letting your buddies know that the friendship that you have and that you've had is special and it's valued by you when my son passed away a few years ago i saw a dozen young men standing in a circle there in the in the funeral home in the visitation one of the visitation rooms and they were talking about the good old days the good old times that they'd all shared together with my son matt and as they got ready to leave i noticed they turned to one another they hugged each other and minnie said I love you, man. And they meant it. Again, being a baby boomer, I was really impressed with that. And I now tell my best buddies that I love them, especially when they're going through something rough. Sometimes it's saying I love you isn't a spoken thing. It can be an action, like a smile and a nod, or maybe just putting your arm around somebody's shoulder, or it could be something as simple as a fist bump. Fist bump says I care fist bump says, we're good. And fist bump can say, I love you, man. If it isn't okay to tell someone that you care about that you love them well, especially in their 11th hour, then when is it okay to do so? It's okay to tell them you love them and let them know that they are loved and cared for by you. As I mentioned, being present is probably the most important thing you can quote unquote say. It's the most important thing you can do. And you say it with your body language. Touch is a powerful way to non-verbally communicate from cradle to the grave. Reaching out, touching a person's arm, or holding someone's hand is a huge way to say, I'm here for you. I care for you. And it also can say, I love you and you matter to me. I realize that some people are just not touchy-feely. In fact, there are a lot of people in this world that, well, they're just not touchy-feely. I have yet, in all of my experience though, encountered any patient or any primary caregiver that didn't appreciate some contact, like touching an arm or shaking a hand. And of course, there are people that would not naturally reach out to touch someone that they're visiting. And it's, it's hard to know what to say combined with that. And, well, it just makes for a really awkward situation. If that is you, let me share with you that you will feel really better if you just break through that fear, reach out and touch that person's elbow, look them in the eye and say, you matter to me. Or I really care. Or if it's a loved one, I love you. And then just hold that smile and let your heart talk to theirs. And again, I guarantee you it will. You know, it's also okay to reminisce. Hey, you remember back when we did this or that? Or remember when remember when this happened? Remember when we went to the Holiday Inn to get ice so that we could go to the drive-in theater and keep our pop soda cold. (laughs) When we reminisce, we suddenly have things to talk about. We can actually enter into a dialogue. All of that awkwardness is gone. Make sure when you're doing this, be a good listener too. It's not all about you doing the storytelling, especially if that person is capable of, of talking and being responsive. Let your loved one tell their perspective or their side of the story. It's okay to smile and laugh also. Some of the best medicine is laughter. And if you can reminisce and talk about some great things that you encountered together, it's great to do that and to laugh and to smile. So let's summarize a little here. Sometimes it's really hard to know what to say to someone who's terminally ill. The best thing is to just be present. Be there. Sometimes we don't have to say anything. Just being there is enough. And it's good to say, I'm so sorry to hear this news. I'm here for you. And follow their lead. They may want to talk about it, in which case let them. And they may not want to talk about it, in which case move on, maybe into some reminiscing. It's okay to ask, by the way, how can I help? And again, let them direct the conversation. There are a few things not good to say to someone who's in hospice care. Like, don't say anything that's going to appear to give false hope. Like, I know you're going to beat this. Or, miracles happen every single day. Just be honest with them and yourself. If they want to talk about it, great then you be a good listener. And if they say, geez, I'm afraid, it's okay to say, you know what, I'm afraid too. You don't have to put on this false bravado and and like, well, I just know everything's going to be all right. It's okay to be vulnerable and show that vulnerability. It's okay to cry. And, and let your body language speak for you. As we wrap up, let me tell you a little story that impacted my life forever. Back a 100 years ago when I was in college, I worked a couple of jobs to help pay for my expenses. One of them was for the Big Brown Parcel Service. They had a parcel sorting hub there in the little town where I went to school. And they had an assortment of really great paying part-time jobs, just perfect for college students. While there, I met a lot of really terrific people. And in fact, I'm still in touch with some of them to this day, thanks to Facebook. As I was able to climb the seniority ladder, I was able to bid on and receive the job of car slash truck washer. (laughs) That was an excellent job. We got to work outside washing and fueling all the vehicles. And it was in this job I met TJ. TJ had just returned from the army, and a tour in Vietnam. We really got along great. We had a lot in common. The love for the outdoors, hunting, fishing, and music. TJ wasn't a musician, by the way, but he had a great ear for music. And he really enjoyed listening to music. And we would sit together sometimes and disassemble the music and talk about what makes this song great and what makes that song great. As time went on, we became really great friends. And he taught me how to properly fish and hunt, how to preserve the outdoors, how to work on cars, and pretty much how to enjoy life. His father was a pretty cool guy, too. He was a World War II vet who worked for Ma Bell. <laughs> for those of you who don't know what that is, you can Google it and you'll see that it's the phone company. And he climbed poles running wires and troubleshooting outages, stuff like that. And they both loved to invent things or improve things, building things. And they both really loved the great outdoors. We would have uh, a deer camp or a trout camp, the opening weekend of those seasons. And there would be five or six of us regular attendees. At first, we used tents, and then T.J., And his dad converted his Dodge cargo van into a camper. And I think it was probably one of the first campers' conversions ever. And it really worked great. We hunted on their land up north. And uh, sadly, we never even saw a deer. I saw one deer one time, and I missed. I'll never be able to live that one down. Uh, Maybe you're familiar with the term buck fever. Anyway, I digress. As life does, we all ended up moving in different directions, going uh, to faraway places. We would still meet a few more times each year at camp, either deer camp or trout camp in the spring. But our kids were getting older, and they had activities that we dads needed to attend and help with. So fast forward a decade. In the U.S. mail came an invite, for a wedding. And it was TJ's daughter's wedding. I remember thinking, no way is little pumpkin that old. Well, yeah, time doesn't wait for anybody. (laughs) So we went up a few days early, uh, my wife and I. We had a great visit and were able to catch up with TJ and his family. And it was a really cool time. The day of the wedding, TJ came up to me and said, you know, we need to get some more ice. Hop in the car. Let's go. And I thought, yeah, it's like old times, hop in the car and go get some ice, beer runs, that sort of thing. It was on the ride to get more ice that G.J. told me something that made my blood run cold. He told me that he'd been covered several times in Agent Orange while in Nam, and that he now had tumors all over his back and his legs, and I just sat there. I knew it was cancer. I knew what he was talking about. He didn't have to tell me. He then said... You know, several of my army buddies have a similar situation and a couple of them already passed away. When I heard those words, my heart just fell into my stomach. My best friend is telling me he's terminally ill. We rode for what seemed like miles and miles before I could muster up, oh my God, TJ, I'm so sorry. Now, if I'd have stopped there, I would have probably been okay. But typical to me, especially young me, I started motor mouthing. Well, You know, TJ, there are new treatments every day and I hear that the guys that were covered in Agent Orange have really good results with some of these new treatments, which was totally made up on my part. Just a desperate attempt to comfort him and probably just really to make myself feel better. He let me go on and on and on and then he looked over and said, Mitch, it's okay. You got to play the hand that you're dealt. I sat there in disbelief. He went on to say, it'll be okay. I just wanted you to know. I said, man, thank you for telling me. and You know, I'll be praying for you. And I did. I did pray for him faithfully. Now, fast forward again a few years. I get a call from TJ's wife that TJ was approaching his final days and that I should probably come visit if I want to still see him. So my wife and I hopped in the car and we went up north for the visit. And we got there and we all kind of sat around, and we reminisced. We really had a good visit. And then I remember, how am I going to say goodbye to this guy? When it came time to leave, I, I checked out. Instead of saying, thank you, brother, for everything that you've taught me, all the times that you've tolerated me, and I love you. You're my brother. I said, okay, TJ, see you in a couple weeks. TJ knew me inside and out, and he showed me grace on that day, as he has many days before that. He sort of just chuckled and said, yeah, okay, (laughs) see you in a couple weeks. I'll tell you, that was one very long ride back to Grand Rapids. Don't make my mistakes. If you get the chance to close the books with someone you love, do so. If not for your sake, then for theirs. If you like our podcast, please leave comments and thumbs up on the platforms that you're listening to this on. Please tell your friends that are approaching or are in or maybe have been in an end of life experience. Tell them about our podcast. You can find us most everywhere you can get podcasts these days. And you can email us directly at livingwithhospice at gmail.com. That's livingwithhospice, all one word, at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Mitch Ware for Living with Hospice. Have a blessed day.